got I got um obviously I got jobs I got public sector reading versus private sector reading um did you see the challenger report yep yeah uh it, we called that right I mean we, we've been talking about these the jobs and I mean that Texas taking an absolute beating yeah well you know there's there's that and then there was the ADP report so if they're proper then today's non-farm payroll should be low should be right. Should be. <laughs> I mean, they're pretty. They're pretty closely tied. But what's interesting is you got okay. So you have that. Let's see, what else? What do I got? Uh, Treasury to issue more short-term debt. I saw that one. That Atlanta Fed GDP now is not doing well for the second quarter. But you got Lockhart out there saying the economy's improving. So I don't get that. You also have uh, Evans out there commenting that uh, he expects the economy to crush it basically the rest of the second quarter in 2015. <laughs> right. But, right. but you shouldn't raise rates until 2016. Yeah, they just want to make sure they're right. There was mm-hmm. also something, I don't have it, that showed for the last five years the Fed's projections have been just 100% wrong. <laughs> well, we know that. Yeah, exactly. And then, We've been talking. Yeah, the Fed is still going to continue reinvesting for some yeah, time. Yeah, all their. Yeah, yep. so, I mean, they're, they're not slowing down. They can't slow down. Right. The only reason they would is, like we mentioned, is if somehow demand dries up, then they they won't they won't raise rates. They'll just buy more bonds. <laughs> they can't count yeah. on... You know, if they can't count on Belgium. We've also had, um, you know, a pretty good uptick in rates, too, interest rates. I mean, with oil, oil was driving higher. Mortgage rates mm-hmm. were, starting to get, were starting to get worse. And, uh, yeah, and if, um, you didn't have, if you didn't have the uh, the boom when you had the low rates, you're not going to have them when you have the higher rates, right? Yeah. Um, yeah I don't get it. What I don't get is how they continue to deceive themselves that everything is fine. Not just that they do. I understand why they do, why the market believes them. I guess that forms their reality, right? Well, yeah, it's, a, it's just a, an altered state of reality that, I mean, <laughs> as long as they know that there's going to be somebody there to backstop everything that they do, it doesn't really matter. I mean, they can, <laughs> call, they can call everybody else idiots because those idiots won't be the ones that get bailed out. Well, that's what uh, Joe Leverone, whatever his name was, was on TV the other day laughing at some guy. Hey, you were short 400 points ago, you know. Yep. You criticize the market, but it goes up. Yeah, and then when they get bailed out again, it'll be like, well, we never saw this coming. Thank God for the for, for the Fed. <laughs> right. Thank God for It's a real sad state of affairs. It is. All right, let me get us queued up here real quick. All right, you ready to roll? Yep. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Real Estate 360 Live. I'm your host, Ryan Slover. For those of you not familiar with the podcast, my guest and I will cover all angles of real estate from interest rates to the economy to what's happening in Washington the Federal Reserve, Congress, anything that we deem important to you and your real estate decisions, 
as I mentioned, this isn't your typical podcast. We just talk about interest rates every week, although we do talk about where interest rates come from and how uh, for you know, five-plus years now they've been manipulated by the Federal Reserve um, in creating an interesting real estate market, a low interest rate market that actually has seen um, a very lackluster real estate market for where everybody would think a low interest rate environment would push housing. Uh, I think it's interesting because you know we've been covering this for six years now at this point, and everybody keeps saying you know it's always the same question. It's like how is the real estate market? How is the real estate market? Well, it's pretty much you know the same. There's still the same opportunities for low interest rates. Um, I, I do feel like you know there's been some loosening of, of credit standards, so there's been more more of a push to put people into homes. Uh, that probably maybe shouldn't be getting home loans. And I think that that's a byproduct because they noticed that just the low interest rates on their own was not going to do the job. And I would expect that trend to continue. As I mentioned about a year plus ago, we would start to see the entry of a lot of private lenders, maybe starting to do stated income loans and some alternative subprime loans that would start to, to you know enter back into the market. We've seen that shift, and I would expect um, as we saw government FHA loans start to take on a pretty significant market share, now conventional Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, Freddie Mac guidelines are starting to change. It's interesting because, you know, in order for them to continue the Fed, this mantra of that, you know, um, everything is only up and up. The economy is looking up. You know, the, the, the rest of 2015 is going to be on the rise. No surprise that we have the elections next year. They'll, they'll make sure that that continues to be the narrative there. Um, but, you know, all in all, with, with the low interest rate environment that we have, you know, the question that I get day in and day out is, is, is this a good time to buy? And um, I want to cover it again today. We've covered it on, on, on past episodes, but I do want to kind of jump into that. We'll also talk about the jobs number, the public sector reading, the ADP job report, also the challenger private sector report. Uh, we'll talk about oil prices. We'll talk about rising mortgage interest rates. Um, and also the Treasury is to issue some more short-term debt. Uh, we'll talk about all that. And joining me on our panel, as he does each and every week, is Louis Camarasano. Louis is a former school teacher, a former attorney, and a former general manager of a major real estate portal. He's often cited in the media as a real estate industry expert. He's been cited in Forbes, Wall Street Journal, MSN, CNN, NBC, and numerous others. Louis, how are you doing today? Doing grand, Ryan. How are you? I'm doing well, sir. So uh, not much has changed since the last time we spoke. Um, you know, we, it, it's kind of, it, we always say that it, this is just like comedy. You know, you and I get to talk each and every week, and it's always it's highly predictable as to what's going to take place. But, you know, I, I did want to start, because I, I think it's hysterical, um, the jobs number, right? So we had, uh, let's see here, the first report was, Pull up the numbers here, make sure I had it right. Initial weekly jobless claims were 265,000 versus the estimated 280,000. Continuing claims were 2.228 mil versus estimated 2.295. Um, and I believe that the other number was not revised from the previous reading, which essentially made this like the best reading in 15 years. Um, now, you and I, Lewis, know we don't, we don't need numbers to really tell us where the state of the economy is. We can pretty much use the eye test as we always talk about. But um, to start claiming things are the best in 15 years, I think, is just asinine. Because when you look at everything, where we're at, we have the Fed that's been manipulating the market for six-plus years. They keep claiming that stuff's getting better. If it was really getting better, they would start to pull back all of the – things that they've been reinvesting back in in the mortgage-backed securities and treasuries, would they not? They'd um, do that. They, they would raise rates, and they'd start they, selling down their bond portfolio, both the treasuries right. and the, uh, the mortgage-backed securities they bought. They've done right. none of those. In fact, they're still reinvesting the interest from the treasuries that they bought. And, and that would be a clear signal to the market that they really thought that things were getting better, would it not? Right, not just talking well, about it. Exactly. And, you know, and the reason why we, we do this show, Lewis, is because I think that, you know, I think some people may feel like, okay, well, these guys just like to bash the Fed all the time. And I think realistically, it's just, I, we just want the Fed to actually do their job and actually stop lying to the American people. Claim They're talking out both sides of their mouth at all times. They can't really 
they have to believe what they're saying so that they can have Wall Street buying into the hype. But, I mean, come on, guys. I mean, really, this, we have the best reading in 15 years? I mean, we had the Challenger great report that came in, which is a, basically the private sector report that came out, and it's terrible. I mean, Lewis and I have talked about the energy sector and the implications of low oil prices while everybody was cheering and saying, rah, 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 it's fantastic, man, the oil's dropping down to like $40 a barrel, it means cheap gas. And we said that there's, you know, this lag effect that's going to take place. It's going to take five or six months, but many people are going to start losing their jobs. Well, sure enough, that's exactly what's taking place, especially in, uh, in Texas. Since uh, the beginning of this year, to now, through April 2015, what I believe it's been in just Texas alone, 69,803 job layoff announcements. Um, and I would expect that trend to continue. I really would. So we see all these job layoffs happening from private sector reports. And this is where people I, I, I wanted to discuss with you, Lois. It's like you and I don't really put much stock in these reports. We talk about them because this is what everybody is looking at on a daily basis at least those people that are interested in the markets, mortgages, real estate, interest rates, they follow these things. But how, what do you think that the Fed would, what, what would be the Fed's response, Lewis, to a report like this? Oh, so it's obvious you, what the re response is. First, when they have problems with the economy overall, they blame the weather. Now when they have problems with the labor market, they're going to blame oil and low oil prices and they're going to blame it on uh, – it's a, not blame it, but they're going to explain it away as transitory and strip out the job losses that came from lower oil prices and basically saying, well, without that, you know, just disregard all those good high-paying oil jobs. We didn't lose that many jobs. That's mm -hmm. basically going to be what they're going to say. They always like to point to something and say, well, if there wasn't that, like if there, we didn't have weather – at all, we would have done well, not realizing that, of course, you're going to have weather. And, of course, there are factors that are going to impact the economy, that are going to impact the labor market. You can't just say, well, if we didn't have those factors, which do exist, you can't ignore them and say, well, right. if we didn't have those, you know, everything would be fine. And it's the same thing they do with, um, with the labor market, Ryan. They claim that all these jobs are being created. What they never, ever focus on is how the numbers are, are added up, meaning if some person gets two jobs because they have to have two jobs, two part-time jobs, that looks like those get added into the number of jobs created, and it looks like uh, we've created jobs. But wages aren't rising. They don't point to the, the, the absolute decline in the labor participation rate, not just overall, but amongst those 25 to 54 years old. You can't mm -hmm. have a robust labor market when the people in their prime working years are actually working less. The percentage of people in those prime working years are working less now than they were at the height of the Great Recession in 2009, 2008, and 2010. That number is lower, so you can't blame it on retiring baby boomers. They don't care. They just point to the top-line number, and then if that top-line number of jobs created comes down, and it's evident that it's because of losses in the oil sector? Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, well, that's in the oil, and that's temporary, and that's transitory. <laughs> so they're never going to say that the job market isn't doing well and isn't improving. They will either explain it away or they'll hype numbers and not give you the full story behind them. Well, you know, basically oil prices have been blamed for about uh, 68,285 job cuts. Um, from January 1st to April 30th, which is about 34% of the 201,796 planned layoffs. As we mentioned before, the, one of the largest um, uh, you know, sectors that was contributing to a growth in, in you know, jobs was the energy. And, and wage growth, because those are higher-paying jobs. Right, and now with, you know, with, with oil prices sliding back as far as they did, and you know, you're not going to feel it immediately. These guys have some pretty deep pockets, but real quickly, it gets them in a bind. You're seeing a lot of mergers with these oil companies. Right. They're laying off engineers, oil rig operators, drill operators, all of them. But you know what? Let's, let's just throw oil out. Let's go down and just look at the retail sector job cut. It's slightly higher than it was a year ago. So, well, that's weather-related. 
Of course. But, you know, when we keep claiming that the economy is going to turn in the corner, then, okay, why? People are saving money on their gas. Why isn't the retail sector picking up? Because they're not taking the extra money and spending it on anything out there because they're basically having to take the money that they're saving and try to pay probably two months' bills ago, right? Like, or they're having not- to pay increased Obamacare costs or insurance costs. There is no net savings from the lower oil prices, they only offset the net loss of purchasing power from the other things, the other cost of living things that have gone higher, such as rents, home prices, uh, insurance costs, and food. So you get a little relief at the gas pump. So what? But what's ironic, Ryan, is they are now blaming oil for the, for the woes in the labor market when they had claimed that the low oil prices were going to be a boon to the economy. We said all along they weren't going to be, but they said, the Fed said, the media said, they were going to operate as a tax cut, they were going to boost consumer spending, they were going to boost GDP, so on and so on. didn't happen. And now they're saying they have no excuse for why consumer spending hasn't increased. I don't want to say it's a bad economy. They say it's the weather. Well, now they've got the weather, and they can say, well, higher oil prices. And now that oil prices are heading back up, they're going to blame oil prices rising. So they're going to blame oil prices no matter what, whether they're too low, too high, or just right. Yeah, they need something I mean, to blame. Well, I wish you agree that the Not Fed their own policies and not the bad economy. Right. Well, the Fed is your, your typical politician, right? They, they, they alter things as they see fit as, as we progress. So it's just like, okay, I know I said that. But basically, that's not what the data was showing us at the time, right? They always point back to the data that skews <laughs> to their favor to allow them to say these things. And, 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 and never acknowledging that there's, you know, a, a worst-case scenario for these type of things. Like, okay, I have a feeling that any smart economist would say, okay, let's look at oil prices. What are the potential implications of the oil prices going down? Is there, is there a benefit here and is there a negative side? And is the negative side a lot more negative than the positive Correct. side? Correct. And, and that's how we case, analyze it. We realize that the, the negatives would outweigh the positives. And the only thing that the Fed does is just look at it and say, you know what? Oh, this is, this is good. You know what? Oil price right. is going down to $40 a barrel. We can really hammer home now that the economy is getting better. People are going to have extra money. They can go out to the mall. They can go. They can <laughs> Even go, though Ryan, it contradicts the whole point that they want inflation and lower oil gas prices are deflationary. Of course it does, because you know what? The average American doesn't give a damn about that information, right? They, they just want to, to push out there that the economy seems to be turning the corner as far as employment, and with lower oil prices means more money in your pocket. It's actually, they've gotten off course to actually what they're all about, and they've been off course for a long time now. Well, I'll um, give you one, Ryan. Let's look, at the, let's look at the Atlanta Fed. They were absolutely spot on. They were an outlier, as were we, when we predicted lower Q1 GDP. They had a model that showed that GDP was tracking close to flat, came mm-hmm. in close to flat, point two. Now the Atlanta Fed is saying that their tracking of the second quarter GDP is about 0.8. It's very low. All the other cheerleaders are saying it's going to be 3%. There's going to be a rebound. The weather is finished. You know, now it's smooth sailing ahead. None of the data indicate that, and the Atlanta Fed runs that, that recent data that we've had, which has all been negative, has not mm-hmm. shown an uptick in April because of the better weather, and they're predicting 0.8. Yet, the Fed president, Atlanta Fed president Lockhart, is his own data. He's, he's, he's just looking aside from that, and he basically says, when it comes to lifting, off, you know, lifting rates off near zero levels, all meetings are in play, including June. He says, I'm still of the view that the conditions will be appropriate in the middle of the year, which we're getting closer to, that uh, things will be better, and we can start to raise rates. Why? No, His own data shows that the second quarter is running at 0.8. Why does he oh, think I that? Mean, I think you mentioned, I uh, want to share with our listeners, what Fed President Evans, I think, where, where is he from? Is he from Boston um, or Rosengarten? Okay. Chicago. Chicago, yep. And what does so he say? He said, he said, so um, he expects a nice economic rebound in the second quarter and the rest of 2015, but also said, in his opinion, that the Fed should wait until 2016 to start to raise rates. <laughs> Why do people um, believe these guys? They come out yeah. every year, Ryan, and say, recovery summer, next year, next quarter, everything's going to be better. And when it doesn't materialize, they've got all manner of excuses. 
But every year they're wrong. Every year. And you and I continue to state that it's, you know, okay, why would people think that something's going to change? We, we haven't done anything different than we've done for the last six years. Why would something change? There, it, it, it can't happen, guys, because they have to continue to pump treasuries, the mortgage back market, reinvesting interest. They, they don't have a choice because there's not the demand on the other side for these, these things. There's not. Nobody's going to buy them, not at the levels that they would need to be able to keep rates where they're at. And at the um, prices, exactly, at the, at the inflated prices that they're at, which drives the yield down. Well, so it's, they, we know that they don't really believe what, you know, what they're saying, but at the end of the day, they have to continue this because they know that there's not a way out. They don't have any more silver bullets. The silver bullet is to just put more money into the market, print more money, put another QE, QE, QE. Or and, negative interest rates, or, or banning uh, cash transactions, taxing cash transactions. They want to make cash such that you don't save it. It needs to burn a hole in your pocket. You lose it. You know, you either use it or lose it. You have to spend it. They want you to spend it. They think that's how they're going to get the velocity money up. They're just going to punish savers. They're figuring there's no reason for you to save. Forget capital investment. We'll take care of that. We'll put the money directly into the economy. We don't need you messing up our plans. We need you out there buying. So and, and, you're going to start mandating about, purchases, whatever. You know, they're going to have to get you to spend money by disincentivizing you to save it. Well, and I thought about this the other day. Louis. So I was like, you know what? Who used to be one of the main drivers of the real estate market? To me, it was the middle class, right? It was the middle class, like, you know, your average American that was probably moving every five to seven years could be, you know, they had a smaller house and then moving up to a bigger house, maybe up to another bigger house. But that middle the Jefferson's was based on that, right? Moving on up. Exactly. And, and the middle class doesn't exist right now. They, they, it doesn't exist. It's such a separation of classes. There's such a, a wide disparity. of. Well, there's not that mobility that used to have. I mean, if you look at the TV show, The Jeffersons, they moved from Archie Bunker's neighborhood up to the east side. Through what? Entrepreneurship. They started a business. They had one dry cleaner. Then they got two dry cleaners, and they, they expanded. Those stories, and that was just a common guy. And that doesn't now, happen today. I mean, it happens, no, but it doesn't happen at the same, uh, the, the same level. Well, I guess People what I'm getting at themselves is, are down to the lowest percentage they've ever been in the United States. Right. Well, what I'm getting at is, is that it's like, okay, so basically it's your it, – it's the people that can qualify, the, the, some of the millennials that may be able to qualify because they can get a loan from their parents or they can get – they're the ones that can buy right now. But the middle class to just do it on their own doesn't exist. The, yeah, but wait, if their parents are giving them the money, they're not really middle class if they have that kind of money. No, what I'm saying is those are the millennials. that they're, They might be getting big down payments from their parents that are pretty well off. You know what well, I mean? Exactly. It's not, it's not like middle-class parents can afford to give their millennial no. children that type of start. No, it's not at all. And, and, and the media continues to push millennial because <laughs> they realize that the middle class has been crushed. It, they're, they're gone. Their hope, there's this hope that the millennials can save the real estate market, essentially. But I keep telling everybody... I'm like, you're dumb if you continue to market to this generation. No, Granted, there's going to be some people in there that, that, you know, get good jobs and things like that. But the majority, as I mentioned on our previous podcast, uh, I believe when, you know, I'm interviewing people and they haven't had jobs in two plus years. Basically, right. the skill, skills are eroding, their social skills, um, business, you know, just etiquette. All those things are kind of gone out the window. That is not good. What kind of houses are they going to buy anyway? They're not going to buy the boomers' large McMansions. When they finally are able to move out of the basement, they're not going to go and buy a 4,300-square-foot home. They're going to buy a small starter home or move into a condo. Yeah, and, and to be able to do that, you need pretty much two years of consistent employment. So even when you do get out of your parents' basement, um, you will have to go and work for two years and get consistent income before you be – and then you'd have to have some established credit along the lines too. So if you didn't, you didn't have a couple credit cards or auto loan or whatever it may be, you might have your student loans on your credit report, but that's not going to be enough 
then you still may not qualify. But there's a catch-22 there. If you have credit cards and student loans, it means you have outstanding debt that may help. And if you're paying it down, it may help your credit ratio, but it's going to hurt your ability to buy a home because you still have those monthly payments you have to pay, and it'll make you less likely to be able to pay a mortgage. And unless yeah, they can be able to save up money if you're paying off a car and you're paying off your student loans every month. Where are you going to save money? Even though you're living in your parents' basement and you don't have costs, that basically probably eats up your entire paycheck, your student loans and your car payment. Well, you know, to me, the average American, it's like saving doesn't save, – the word savings doesn't even really register with them. Um, that, the middle class, would probably, they, you know, there used to be some savings for them. But, yeah, but, you can't, but if you, there's a reason. It's not just cultural. How are you going to save? You put your money in the bank. You have two risks. Everyone's worried about where the people are paying attention. They're worried about bail-ins. You're worried about losing your money. And two, even if you're not worried about that and you believe in the FDIC and you believe that nothing's going to happen to your money, money in the bank is safe, you don't get any interest anyway. So you're not saving anything. You're, you're actually behind. So where are you going to save your money? Some places, now I think J.P. Morgan Chase doesn't even allow you to put cash in your safe deposit box, you know, so you can avoid <laughs> the, uh, the, the bank fees. Right. So, so savings is, is, and they're trying it, they're doing this on purpose, is a losing effort. And, and it's uh, offensive to hear Bernanke say Americans are hoarding cash. No, they're not. They don't have cash to hoard. <laughs> <laughs> That's what's funny. Uh, they're looking at this and saying, why aren't consumers spending? Because they owe money. They're not even dipping in the savings to buy. They're just going further into debt on their credit cards. Well, yeah, they and at some money, point, they, they have to stop, and they are stopping. And that's making the economy slow down. They brought forward six years' worth of spending that should have not, never happened, and now they're wondering why people aren't continuing to spend. And now they're saying, well, we're going to raise rates. That's not going to help people spend more. They actually believe that they've created some type of escape velocity that the economy is accelerating when all indications are it's not. It's decelerating. It's decelerating, but, you know, the guys, the, the bankers, the, you know, guys on Wall Street, they, they, it's just a casino. Stock market's going higher, Ryan. That's why it's accelerating. Well, it's true, it's, and it's just a, it's just a glorified casino, uh, Lewis, but actually it, it's one of the best casinos that you could ever play in because essentially it's like, okay, we have a 90% chance that even if we lose our money, we'll get it back. Right. The house wins. But, and a lot of the players win. You know, think about why people go to casinos. It's the hope. But the reality is the casino is a sucker's bet, right? You go yeah. there, you bring a couple hundred dollars, and you leave with nothing. You know, if you go with a group of guys or gals or whatever, maybe one person hits it big, everybody else loses all their money. <laughs> but when you go into stocks, everyone makes money. It's the best casino on earth. And all the while investing in companies that aren't making money. Exactly. Everybody wins. Yeah. Doesn't matter whether the company makes money. Doesn't matter whether you know what you're doing or not. Doesn't matter at all. You just show up, put your money down on one of these companies, whether they make money or not, PE, price sales, who cares? It's got a story behind it. Some investment bank is willing to promote it. CNBC is willing to pump it up. It's going to go up. So now that we've, been, we've had this thrown out there that the Fed should wait basically until 2016, and if you remember, my prediction was that they wouldn't touch rates until after the next election, right? Correct. Uh, or even then. Yeah, I'm still... I'm you you still basically are saying not that they would raise rates after the election, that's just that they're not going to raise them before the election. Correct. And, and you know what? And, I, and we had the conversation a few episodes ago that if they did raise interest rates, it would be like one time just as a credibility play as they right. did when they, start, when they started tapering because at a certain point when there's enough you know, crap out there in the media where they're just like, all right, Fed, come on, you've been telling us this. When, when is it coming? And but we're not even boom. close to that. But people are, people are not losing patience other than small amount of people in the alter, alternative media and us. No one's really bla They're actually thinking, that, well, the Fed's being prudent. They're doing this watch, wait, see, looking at the data. It's obvious if looking at the data – had anything to do with whether they would raise rates or not, they wouldn't even be thinking about raising rates. But that's because They're actually denying the data and saying, well, we're going to get a good number once a month, and that'll be enough for us to continue to talk about raising rates. Well, that's also because, as we mentioned last week's podcast, that there continues to be these, these circuses in the media, the sideshows with Baltimore and Ferguson, and, and we'll have three more of those before the next election. 
right? Oh, sure. Like, it, it, this will continue because it keeps the eye off the, off the ball. You know what I mean? Like, you, you, you're you look distracted. You don't know where to look. And you look on social media, you're not going to see crap about the Federal Reserve and what they're saying. Well, they yeah. never were. Even if you didn't have distractions, people have never paid attention. And there was a poll, I don't know, a year ago, six months ago. Uh, you mentioned the name Janet Yellen to the average person. I think she had name recognition in the single digits, maybe 10, 12% of tops. No one knows who she is. Do you think that, oh, so you think that the 44% of people that are basically getting some sort of benefits from the government, they have no clue who she is? Well, I think 90, 95% of the people, whether they're getting <laughs> benefits or not, have no idea what, what the Fed is. Or, or even, in fact, if it wasn't for Ron Paul with his end the Fed book and his constant and incessant discussions on monetary policy, no one would know what it was. Well, I, I do agree with you there. I, I was just mainly making the point that it's really irrelevant. They don't, people don't care about anything, ex- especially the people that are – the 44% that are receiving the majority of those entitlements. As long as they collect those every month, that's the only thing they really care about. Well, and, they care whether something is going to um, – what the threat is to take that away. The Fed's no threat to take that away. In no, fact, those, those, those people are the Fed's best customers. You can count on them to spend the money that they're given. Quickly. That's what they want. They want more people to be getting money that they're going to immediately go out and spend. And that's the Nancy well, Pelosi argument. Food stamps are good for the economy. You get them, and you immediately put that right money right back into your local economy. You buy groceries with it. Simple, right? <laughs> you just hand out the money, and people spend it. And that creates jobs. You know, it's the whole demand-side e- economy well, all you have to do is stimulate demand by handing out money, and therefore supply just magically appears to meet the demand. Mm-hmm. Well, see, let's see. That's what kids are taught in college, in economics. It's all, you know, it's all about Keynesianism. It's all about stimulation. It's all about if the economy is not doing well, what the government can do, what fiscal policy can do, and now what monetary policy can do. It's not extraordinary measures. They're expected to pump liquidity into the stock market if the stock market goes down. They're expected to do things like QE, now that all the central banks do it, when the economy stagnates. That's normal monetary policy now. It's not extraordinary. It's what people expect. So when the economy finally appears to everybody, and they can no longer say, Ryan, that it's going to get better, it's just obvious that it's not, and they can no longer pretend that it's not going up, that's when they'll say, well, this is now the time for QE, because we always do QE when the economy needs a boost. Well, you know, I was, um, I was reading this book, and I can't remember the name of it. It just escapes me. But it was basically talking about how, you know, like there, all these economies, basically, um, there's cycles, like every 100 years or somewhere around that, where we mm-hmm. have these big, big wars, right? Like everything ends in big wars. Like, and that's where I see this ending is a war. It's not, I, I honestly feel like we can go for 10 plus years, have the lost decade or decades, because it doesn't matter. We've already gotten six years. We can get to 10 years because they're not going to, nobody's going to distinguish, hey, we're 10 years into this now and we still haven't turned around. Well, we're six years into it. It didn't work. So why wouldn't they get to 10? Why wouldn't they get to 15? Why can't we be like Japan? Of course. How long can that road be that you kick the can down? Well, and, and, you know, is it a dead end or is it just you just add more road? Well, there's been some people that have been projecting that this goes somewhere into the 2024, 25 range, somewhere into the 2020s, that that's when the next big uprising and war takes place. And it could be well before then. But well, you can uh, always I, add more debt. See, people keep thinking that there's a limited amount of debt. You can always create more debt. You can always find more people to buy it. And the way you do it is you keep lowering rates and you disincentivize savings. You just keep issuing more debt. Well, at the end of the I mean, day, eventually there's a limit, but, you know, I, I, maybe we're not even halfway there yet. And see, that's what I'm starting to think. I, I'm thinking that it just, it, it's really irrelevant because at the end of the day, they're just numbers. The stock market, 17,924.06, that's what it closed at yesterday. Right. right. The, Na- the NASDAQ, 4,945. It could have been 16, it could have been 20. See, housing prices, Ryan, are different. You can't push housing prices much higher because people actually have to buy them. You can put the stock market wherever you want. If Apple is 800 or 1,200, 2,000, so what? If it's 2,000, you just buy less of it. You could still well, you're buy absolutely it. right. 
And the reason why that matters is because nobody's income is just rising numbers, right? Everything else right. can rise. Everything else can rise except when people's income doesn't rise. You can't there's not a way to, you can't make up the difference. You, you no. can't. So that's why they've given up on housing. They, but, you know, now uh, they're saying that housing prices don't need to go any higher. We need to increase sales. Well, that was always the case. But the way you increase sales is the prices don't have to level off here. They have to come down a bit. But you don't gin up demand in the stock market when the price goes down. People chase them as they go higher. And they can. It doesn't matter how high the price goes. You could be making no money at all. If you have 100 bucks, you can still buy a fractional share of, of Apple. Well, and, you know, that's why I'm saying, like, let's just say that our national deficit is, is, is $500 trillion, right, with everything. It doesn't matter. It's just a number. Right. It could be a trillion, billion, zillion. Right. It, it doesn't matter. They can make up. They can start creating new numbers if they wanted to. And <laughs> at the end of the day, if, if the Fed's in control of it, they say, hey, this is what we're doing, everybody else is going to follow. Just, they're just sheep. There, there's nothing that's going to change. And I'm convinced of that at this point because they know. So we, we'll go through the whole seasonality. We'll blame things on oil. We'll blame things on on on, you know, the winter. Well, you know what? Summer came too early this year, Lewis. It's been really hot here on the East Coast. So <laughs> summer actually had an effect on the spring job market. So we're expecting hopefully it'll get better, you know, through the channel. So you can create whatever you want. Whatever narrative you, you can make up is what they do. And it's frustrating because it's like, okay, so when is enough enough? And I'm beginning to think that it doesn't really matter. Well, it's like, the same with supply and demand. You say, well, this can't go on forever. Well, they just change what the dynamic of supply and demand means. It doesn't mean the physical amount of gold and silver available. It means the paper amount available, and that's infinite. And that's why I always argue that the only thing that you do have control of is yourself, right? And it's, um, you know, you have to basically react. Don't necessarily pay attention, but just kind of do things that are, that are going to be potentially beneficial for you and your family, whether that's creating your own business if you can, being entrepreneurial, taking multiple jobs, but finding a way to better yourself and not letting this stuff hinder you. And it's difficult for the majority of people because they've been brainwashed into that this is what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to go to elementary, middle, high school, college, get your master's, get your Ph.D., come out, get a job, make no money. Well, the problem, right? though, trying to be independent, Ryan, is for housing, unless you rent, you're relying on the program's that will allow you to borrow money. Yes, because not many people can afford to pay cash. Correct. And that's been the case forever. Even in the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, when home prices were much lower, no one really wrote it. You could save up for a car, but you really couldn't save up for a house. It takes too long. Exactly. It takes too long. And, and you know, it, the... You know, there's no, and there even. But, but at least, well, let me just. But at least then, you could pay off the house. Now of people course. who buy a house never expect to pay off the house. They're basically just paying a mortgage, and they may never own the house outright. <laughs> even then, right. if you own the house, you still owe thousands of dollars in taxes to your local municipality. Of course, and then you have insurance, and you have you know HOA dues and everything else, right. um, which for, in some cases is, it gets to be pretty expensive. Of course, um, of course. You know, I mean, I, I've seen... And I wonder why people don't have money to spend. Their housing costs are so expensive. You can't go out well, and use... There's no discretionary spending left. Well, even if you were in, like, New York City or San Francisco, one of those, you know, major metropolitan areas, and you bought a condo, even if you paid cash for it, you might have condo dues of, like, 1000 plus a month. You might have taxes of, like, 1000 or 2000 Exactly. It's, and then, it's, and then it's if you expensive. have to pay, well, that's that's two thousand right there. You have a car, that's another five hundred, and if you have uh, a private insurance, that's another thousand. You're talking thirty five, thirty five hundred dollars a month, and you haven't done anything. You haven't eaten. You haven't moved. You haven't bought clothes. <laughs> you know, that's uh, forty thousand dollars net. You know, pre tax money. So you mm -hmm. have to be making a few hundred thousand dollars to afford that simple lifestyle in those areas. Well, your cost of um, just breathing and living in a place is $40,000. And that's well, on the low end. Well, it's also the, one of the reasons why there's certain people out there that will say, you know what, I'll never buy a house. I'll just rent, right? Um, because they're not worried about the, the, the small tax deductions. And a lot of those people that, are, that say that are rich people, so they, they understand that they weren't going to get the tax right. break anyway. 
So they're going to rent because then they don't have to pay those taxes. They don't have to worry about those kind of fees. They pay their flat rent. They can move around as they see fit. They don't right. care. It doesn't matter to them. But see, that's not kind of what everybody can, can afford to do. They right. can't afford to have to move every year or two. When, or just mm-hmm. when the landlord comes back in and say, hey, I want my house back, they got to pick up their stuff and go somewhere. Most people can't do that. They've got families. They, they're like, well, that really, they don't cost, though. Then it becomes a losing proposition. You have to move every two years because the losing costs are high. Well, they don't care, though. They, they, they could care less. It's still, it's still probably cheaper. Yeah, it's still, yeah. yeah. It's still going to be cheaper, you know? And that's why when I get the question of, you know, well, should I just consider buying versus renting? And, and, it, and for every person, it's different. Like, if somebody's got millions of dollars saved up and, and – and it doesn't matter, and they don't plan on living around here for that long. I mean, there's a side of me that's like, okay, well, do you want to invest in real estate? Because if you do, you can take advantage of the low interest rates. If you cash flow, and you know that people are always going to need a place to live, and you can rent that place out, and you're going to net 8 to 10 to 12% on the cash flow, then, yeah, that makes sense to me. But I think we don't ever look in terms of it's always just, hey, should I buy real estate to see basically if home prices are going to go up? And I, I get sick of that because it's unfortunately what, what always gets us into this, this mess of people buying houses for the wrong reasons. The right reasons right. are that you're trying to get your family into a house that you can call a home that you can protect yourself from future inflation because you have basically a fixed cost. If you get a 30-year fixed rate, you can nail it down. And I'll you know, beat this drum continuously because this is the real reason why you want to do it. Our so, first show, we, we mentioned that, that basically you're locking in your cost of shelter for 30 years. Done. You're, it, it's done. And so the only thing that can typically change, as we just mentioned, would be your taxes and your insurance. But your interest rate is, is locked, you know? And yep. why, why, not, why not have that peace of mind? Now, can we control whether people lose their jobs or, you know, things happen along the way? No, we can't. But you're making the decision today based upon where you're at or where you can see yourself in three to four to five years. I mean, you still do need to kind of project what you plan to do. If you plan on retiring, then maybe buying a house might not be the best idea for you. Um, but, you know, it, 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 there's a, a long set of questions that everybody should answer before they actually go out to buy a house. And it shouldn't be because their neighbor just put a sign in their yard that they want to put theirs on because they see they, they can pull a little bit of cash out, take that, they can move on to the next house, and they can maybe put, take half of it and use it as a down payment, and the other half go into their bank account. Well, it's only a matter of time before that money just goes out the window. Uh, and and I, I honestly see that a lot of the time. It's like, what's the quickest way to get the cash? And listen, if the people have equity, that's one of the main, main things that people do, sell their home. They sell their home, take the money. I, I see it all every day. Take, it's your largest take, asset. Why not? It's your largest asset. You take half of it, put it down on the next house. And see, what happened during the last boom and bust cycle was that they kept rolling it from house to house to house until it went busto by 50% and they lost all of yeah. it. That's musical chairs. Eventually, you end up without a chair. We have a low interest rate environment now, though, that doesn't allow for most people to play musical chairs because they can't get qualified. Right. And so that's why we're not seeing – but I have mentioned on the last episode that we've been seeing appraisals coming low quite a bit, um, and I kind of was making an assumption that this is something that they've actually wanted to happen. I don't know for sure, but just based upon some of the things that I've seen, uh, to kind of keep prices tame, because in, you know, in the D.C. metro area and a lot of the major metropolitan areas, there is still kind of a shortage of inventory um, for certain price points, which what I would say is just call, call like your, your lower middle income people, that, that those are the houses they're buying, like it, in the suburbs of the D.C. metro area, if you have a townhouse that's sub $350,000, they're moving like hotcakes. You, they can't even basically get the sign in the ground and the house is sold. Oh, sure. But, Affordable housing but, is definitely in short supply. Yeah, because it makes sense, right? We have a low interest rate, and when you're, you're looking at what the proposition of what your mortgage payment, even with taxes, insurance, and all that, and if you can get a if you can get a down payment assistance program or a grant program so you're really not having to come out of pocket with anything, of course you buy. Sure. Yeah. And, and it's much cheaper than renting at that point. You get all the benefits of the tax deduction too. But once you go up over, you know, five hundred and fifty, six hundred, seven hundred thousand, it stalls out pretty quick 
it stalls out pretty quick. And there's fewer people making that kind of money today, as we've seen. The job growth has not been in the higher-paying jobs. The job growth has been in the lower-paying jobs. There's and fewer so, people like that are going to buy or even want to buy a $600,000 home, $700,000 home. Where they're not affected are the 2 and $3 and $4 million homes. There's plenty of demand for those. Mm-hmm. You know, because... The people that used to buy the five, six, seven thousand dollar homes, they were the upper middle class. They've become middle class. And there's, there's, there's just very, very and everybody else. Well, yeah, but the upper middle that moved to middle, there's very middle of those people. There, there's not too many of them. You know what I mean? There's not too many of those guys out there. Yeah, they right? they now want the three hundred thousand dollar houses. That's what <laughs> right. people don't understand. People, the only people that want higher home prices are the ones that are already living in them that were underwater. They're just cheerleading them higher. But the buyers don't want them to go that much higher. They don't want them to go higher. They want them to come down. Well, and knowing that the Fed can continue this, which I, I don't see, and as we mentioned, it helps the rich get richer, the poor get poorer. And also you have the seniors that it continues to crush because they're not making any money either. As we mentioned, they're having to go back to work. They're taking jobs away from young people that would, are trying right. to enter the, the workforce. Mm-hmm. What if they um, even own their home outright and you know, the taxes go up because the home price gets higher and then their local municipality assesses their house higher? That doesn't well, help them because they're not making cash flow. Their house goes from three hundred to 400000 They just have to pay more tax on it now. Well, I don't know about you, Lewis, but I think my assessment went up and my taxes on my house, I think it was almost $1,000 this year. I mean, that's a pretty substantial increase, and then people will complain – so what they'll do is next year is they'll lower the assessments or, or they'll, they'll keep the assessments somewhat the same, but they'll just raise the tax rate. And then when enough people complain, then they'll flip it. Then they'll let the assessments come yeah. down. And, and you know what I mean? They play the game back and forth. Funny, Ryan, what I got from my town, which I was insult to injury, was a little green envelope that says, you know, we, we're kind of short on money. And if you'd like to donate, it's tax deductible. Just check off. You know, where you want your money to go. I think you're out of your mind. I'm not going to send you more money. They actually sent that to you? They send it, yeah. They send you a little card <laughs> saying that essential services are pinched. <laughs> you can't find a way to to make this money go. You know. Then I realized they list like 14 things that you can donate to it. I'm thinking, well, maybe you shouldn't have those 14 things. If you think yeah. that there's not enough money to fund them and that you have to go cup in hand asking for more money or you're going to raise the property taxes again next year. That's, uh, of course, the people that live in the town want those things as long mm-hmm. as someone else is paying for them. Sure, I want a senior center. I want a teen center. I, you know, I want uh, more cops, more firemen, more everything. Mm-hmm. But then you realize, do you really want that stuff? Does it really, is it really worth the value, that you, I mean, the money that you have to pay to get extra? Swimming pools, bigger library, you know. And then, you know, the thing about school is you pay more money for the school. Mm-hmm. I mean, the education doesn't get any better. They pour, I think, you know, certain, I think California spends the most on its schools, and they're horrible. <laughs> it was you're a- just paying a teacher more money, and you're paying their retirement. That doesn't make them better teachers. The argument is, well, you attract better teeth. No, you don't. Well, it was interesting, Lewis, because I, I was actually um, following a guy who was, he was actually teaching a, a speed reading class. And I can't remember some, one of the lines he used. He was like, a, if, if Rip Van Winkle had, like, woke up today and was, like, trying to look at everything, he said the only thing that he would see that would still be the same is the, is the school systems, right? And because <laughs> education hasn't changed, and it won't change. It's the same. Well, it's an old, it's an outdated system because you really, you, people can homeschool their kids now a lot easier than they could 20, 30 years ago. You don't even need a public library to do it. You need an internet connection. I mean, and, and wouldn't you agree that somebody can learn, I mean, probably in half the time of what they spend 12 half. plus years doing? I mean. They can, they can learn in a quarter of the time at a, at a 50th of the cost. Of course. And what's amazing and, is how ignorant we all are. Given that that education is that high level of education is out there for free, basically, and people don't use it, they use the internet to entertain themselves and to gossip. I uh, I recently was um, uh, thinking about bringing on another agent at my office, and it's 
she was talking about, you know, she couldn't figure out a way to get ahead, and, you know, there's just not, there's, you know, she's been told all these different things, and I said, well, I said, you know, the best place to start is probably the library or the Internet, right? Right. I said, uh, yeah, and people sometimes don't like that answer, but I said, there's, there's so much a wealth of information that you can get that's free. Mm-hmm. Teach, start, teaching, start teaching yourself some skills. Right? Quality information. Yeah, quality information that, that years, probably 10, 20 years ago, we had to pay thousands of dollars for. Correct. Now it's free. Now it's free. But since some people are getting so much information thrown out them today, I, I find one of the biggest hurdles, Lewis, is, is figuring out what to pay attention to, right? Mm-hmm. And being well, able the to thing about education, it doesn't come in your face. It's not the most attractive. It's not the most stimulating that you want to dive into it. That's when they throw war and famine and Kim Kardashian at you. That's what gets your attention. And don't forget Bruce Jenner. Um, uh, yeah, well, there you go. I mean, why is that even a story? But I mean, you're going okay. anywhere. His face is everywhere. So he had a sex change operation. And the thing is about Bruce Jenner is no one even, if you're, if you're not even old enough to remember him, and he wasn't that popular back then. He was on the Wheaties box from, I think he was in the 76 Olympics. Well, he's, 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 he's basically a nobody him. now, I mean, other than because he did this. Well, it was just the Kardashian thing. I mean, it was the minute that you know, linked up with him, it was just so we, – we, you put those two together, and it just created its own um, – I mean, it's, it was just literally – I don't even think people are interested in the story. I think they're, they just create that story, and they say, well, this is what you're going to be interested in. This is what you're going to talk about. Because it never would have crossed my mind to care about it. Well, it wouldn't. I mean, you have Rick Santorum talking about Bruce Jenner. Mm -hmm. Why would a presidential candidate have to talk about that other than this story has been thrust in front of people for consumption and for distraction and for discussion? Yeah, well, but see, to me, I think as we talk about education on on our real estate show, and people are like, well, why is this important? I think it's, it's plenty important because. You see, this is the way that you could actually get wage growth to actually go up. If people actually started to develop their skills, right, and started to realize that they had to make their own opportunities instead of waiting for their opportunities to just appear right. in front of their face. And the government will continue to, t- as long as the government continues to tell you that, hey, there may be a program that you join the government and we'll just get rid of your student loan debt. Or to fund, right, or to make it easier to fund, make it more expensive too, to fund education. That's Elizabeth Warren's whole stick. That, you know, we're going to create more programs so that you can find more money to go to college. And the reason she wants that is she wants people to find money to go to college because that's how she supports her lifestyle, making $400,000 a year as a college professor. Right. But you indoctrinate them into the system. You convince them that it's the most important system. It's the most important thing you can have is sitting in a classroom for four years hungover and listening to some teacher drone on about something that you have no interest in that won't help you with a job that's they want to perpetuate that they want that that's the most important thing everyone has to go it's democratic it costs a lot of money but don't worry we'll come up with a government program to put it in your hands and so what if it goes higher if it goes higher we'll uh we'll write off the loan and as long as you come work for us <laughs> well that's a scam it is it is and people don't see it as such because the underlying premise behind that most people buy into that, yes, the college education is the cornerstone of financial health and in your entire being you know, is wrapped up in the fact that you've got this credential. Now, of course, they're losing that, just like they're losing the, the argument that the economy is doing better. People are starting to see, no, the economy is not doing that better. They're starting to see, well, wait a minute, is it really worth $40,000 a year to go to college to come out? and get the same job I could have got without taking on all this debt. Well, I could have gotten a job at Starbucks drawing on coffee cups four years ago. Well, yeah, there's a lot of irony when somebody would go to a, like a you know, high-end university and pay $40,000 a year, and then they come out from paying $40,000 a year, and they're getting paid less than $40,000 a year, right? right. Uh, it's, and then they're, like, then they're oh, pissed off. Then they're bitter that they're, they're drawing on coffee cups, Oh, no, and they should be know, happy they, they have a job. But no, but here's the thing, Lewis. They don't even take that job because they say that, no, they're worth more than that. So well, that's true, too. They don't even they're, take that job. They sit on the sidelines to wait for the 75 or the 80,000 job that's not ever going to come along. Right. 
and, and see, this is, this is why we have, you know, they talk about all these people sitting on the sidelines waiting for jobs. What they end up doing is they go back to school to get their master's to continue. They, they, <laughs> they get, double down they get, on their error. Right. They double down because they say, well, you know what it was? My bachelor's wasn't enough. And who convinced right. them that that was the case? They oh, absolutely. They you see those little ads so all the time about going back to school, Obama, it's funny, like Obama has nothing to do with it, but they say Obama says go back to school or whatever, and uh, there's money available for you. And so they go back to school, they learn more useless knowledge, and they owe more money. Having more college doesn't make you more marketable, especially if the jobs aren't there anyway. It's the same uh, thing. You know, if it, just because you're more trained in social studies doesn't mean there's more social studies jobs. In fact, it means there's fewer because more people are studying social studies. Well, and, and it's, you know, just even, even if... Because if the jobs are there, Ryan, they would do without the degree. Because I know when there's teacher would. shortages, they will take people just with college degrees that, and they'll send them to college. You know, they'll send them to teaching school afterwards. Not that that's a big... Not that you need to go to another teaching school, but the point is, is that if there really were jobs a job shortage, you wouldn't have to get more college education. So you come out with more college education, the job still isn't there. Well, and I, I think that, you know, the point of all this is, is that real estate definitely isn't a problem, right? You don't need a college <laughs> education for that. No, it's, it's definitely not a problem. The, the problem is so much bigger, and nobody really wants to talk about the key, the key problems. And, and, and these key problems, it really starts with the college and and that's the reason why we're not seeing employment where it should be because people can, can. They can be self-taught. It doesn't cost you anything. And it's no coincidence that when you start looking at some of the top companies in, in the country, that a lot of them are high school dropouts. It, it's, it's about or college think, dropouts, right. Or, or, never went, or, school, or graduated or high, high school and never um, – I could post a link to that. Like 250 people that are highly successful, basically changed the world, never went to college, never graduated from college. Yeah, but a huge list from Apple, Microsoft, tons of companies, Subway, that the people that created those companies didn't go to college. Didn't go to college, but yet they continued, the government continues to peddle that in order to be able to get that type of status that you need to go through right. college, right? And yep. I, I, there, there's never going to be the media pushing on people to say, don't go to college, don't go to college. Oh, of course. It won't, it, it won't happen. Uh, so unfortunately, people are going to have to, you know, figure that out for themselves. And I think if people have enough friends out there that are not being able to find jobs, you would think that that would start to, to ring true. But um, and much like the Federal Reserve, and this, 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 it just continues on, that is going to probably continue on as well, unfortunately. So, well, the non-farm payroll came out. It wasn't very good. It was 223,000. They expected 228. So it's up a bit from from last month's horrendous numbers. But what are they going to say? It increased. <laughs> still over. It's still over two hundred thousand. The biggest. You know, they're going to average the last five months. They're going to say last yep. month was a blip. See, the economy is getting better. It's April. So what? It's, Who's going to analyze the two hundred twenty-three thousand jobs? Who's going to look at the labor participation rate amongst twenty-four to fifty-four year olds? Who's going to look at the wage numbers? Nobody. No, we will. They're just going to tout this number is over two hundred thousand, and we're off to the races. Well, it's you know, it's it's not it's it's predictable as we always say. We know what's going to happen. It's just a matter of what you know what's going to be how the narrative that it. day. Yeah, right. how they're going to spin it? What are they, what are they going to come up with? It's, well, you know, it was a miss. It was a miss, and they didn't have like the highest expectations on it. But it wasn't. I don't think it was enough of a miss for them to abandon the narrative that the economy is improving. They will defend the. You know, it would have to have been another hundred and fifty thousand number again that they couldn't explain away. This one you can explain away. Still over two hundred thousand. It was a miss, but you know, May's going to be better. There were factors. You had Easter. You know, something happened in April that, right. <laughs> that they can explain Between. away. There was residual weather. Or, or the jobs, you know, or or because you know. They stopped hiring in the shale oil. If you take that out, look how many bartender jobs we created. <laughs> Between now and the next election, there, it, nothing is going to be really bad numbers. I can promise you that. Like, even if it is, 
they will downplay it and they'll move on to the next report because they don't want there to be any real major um, thing that pops up between now and the next election that could kind of start swaying voters. Other than, Ryan, other than forces that are against the powers that be, and I think there's some very strong forces in the oil lobbies uh, who, who do not like the stranglehold that the banks have on politicians and so so you know there may be there are powerful enough forces that could might counteract that narrative only time will tell right well so uh, far they've managed to hold on <laughs> that's for sure <laughs> they've been playing a very bad hand very skillfully you got that right um, we're up uh, we're up on the end of the show here Lewis but um, I want to thank you again for coming on guys if Thanks you have any if you have any questions uh, or would like us to have, you know, topics to cover on future episodes, please feel free to, to go to realestate360live.com. On the right-hand side, there's an Ask a Question button. Also, subscribe, share the show on iTunes. Lewis, where can they go to check out your, your blog? Smogold.com, S-M-E-U-L-G-L-D. There's a blog there on gold, silver, Federal Reserve, real estate. Please check it out, smogold.com. Thanks, Lewis. Appreciate it. Thanks, Ryan. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll be back again next week. Until next time.